1: Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 121, Emperor's Table Series, John Hudspeth. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick's sights turn southward as he is joined by John Hudspeth, host of the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. John may be the pickiest eater on the show, yet resides in a true sportsman's cornucopia of species to chase. One in particular, the feral hog, an animal that has brought a lot of attention onto itself in the past several years. John paints a picture of what Nick is to expect when he travels down and faces off against these formidable beasts. To top it all off, John lays out a couple dishes for the emperor's table that even picky eaters will enjoy. Lots of great conversation on this episode of Huntivore. And before we get started, I wanted to say that word-of-mouth advertising is the best way to get any message across, and podcasts are no different. If you'd be willing to press pause, even for just a minute, and give Huntivore a five-star rating, that would help leaps and bounds, getting the message of using more of our wild game across to folks. And if you feel like leaving a review, that just encourages more to join in the conversation. I wholeheartedly appreciate every action that you do take. Oh, and before I forget, a bonus episode will be coming out next Monday. It'll be my recap of the Oklahoma Hog Adventure. Anyway. Enough out of me right now. Let's get on to the show with John Hudspeth. Well, hey, oh, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I tell you what, it's like spring has finally arrived. Um, I'm not sure when this is actually going to drop, but we just went through uh, the time change here. We are now into daylight spending time. We are spending time now with some sunshine and some uh, clear skies. So, man, I mean, it's it's still tough in the morning uh, trying to get the kids up an hour before they're ready to get up. But at the same time, it's actually turning out way better because, shoot, It's now daylight till seven and man, are we loving it, but that's neither here nor there. I am joined tonight, uh, by another fellow, uh, sportsman's empire podcaster. I am here with John Hudspeth of the Oklahoma outdoors podcast. John, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tell me, what is it like down in Oklahoma? Are you guys in shorts and t-shirts down there?
0: Uh, just about actually, I, I, I mean, I could make you really angry if I wanted to talking about the weather. Uh, we had we had a cold front come through today and it it only hit I think fifty eight today. Um, we've had a few, we've had a few 80 degree days already. Um, but man, down here, this is a like, it, I mean, every year it's the same. It's always a weird time of year. You just never know what to expect when you step out the door in the morning. Um, like I think one day in, uh, March we hit 86, uh, which that's, I mean, a little above average. Uh, like yeah, I said, I think last night, it, last night it got down to like 37 though. And so, yeah, we're just, I mean, nothing like you guys up there. Uh, but we're all over the place.
1: <laughs> hey, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. I've heard that phrase exactly. before, and it sounds like it's a bit oh, the yeah. same down there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. John, again, thanks for coming on tonight. Um, yeah, we wanted to have you on. I'm just doing the tour of the Sportsman's Empire, and one question that I've really enjoyed hearing from is, as we're leading off, John, how did you find yourself into creating a podcast like hunting and fishing and being outdoors is already your thing. What made you decide to have a hobby that all you do is talk about another hobby? What got you
0: started? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, it was kind of a uh, threefold, really um, a buddy of mine that uh, he, he's a childhood friend of mine, uh, somewhat responsible for me, getting me into hunting in the, in the first place and, he actually kind of had the idea. He said he and I should start a podcast. Uh, I ended up doing it by myself and not with him. <coughs> nothing against him. He just he didn't have enough time. And then uh, Dan was a big part of it. The the emperor. Um, I was on his podcast uh, I think twice. And the second time I was on it, uh, I kind of mentioned to him that I had thought about it, and uh, and nothing really came from it. And then I was on his podcast a third time, and he actually reached out to me. Uh, that's when he was starting the the empire and everything and looking for, you know, more states. And so that was part of it. Uh, but a big reason, like my desire for starting it was I I honestly didn't really have a hunting mentor. Um, I don't really come from a, a hunting family. I just got super lucky in that I came from like an ag family. So my my family had land for me to recreate. Sorry, I got a cough here. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. Um so yeah, kind of a perfect storm. Um uh actually that the guy that I was first talking about, he is actually my brother's age, my older brother's age. And uh when they were younger, they had a deer lease, and he would invite my brothers to go out there and hang out with them and everything. And I was always the younger brother that never got to go. Uh and and honestly I think that's why I am so into hunting now it was because I, like I wanted to, I had that desire, but I wasn't able to. And so a little later in life, you know, I got my driver's license. I had all this land at my disposal and I just, I got after it. But you know, a lot of the stuff that I've learned over the years, I kind of had to learn myself, you know, it was pre podcast. uh, The internet was a thing, but you couldn't just get on YouTube and learn anything you wanted back then. And so a lot of it, I just kind of had to learn myself. And so when I first discovered podcast, I mean it it blew my mind. Like I I learned so much so quick and and I was like I want this for others. And so so that that was kind of the long story short or long story long I should say of how I got into this. Wow, John, I I resonate
1: so much with that story just being a non-sportsman family and then having mm-hmm. to make your way into basically trying to learn everything on your own that is a great story do you uh do you miss being on that that ranch or excuse me that that lease or have you enjoyed being able to learn stuff on your own at that point like you're like i don't need the lease at this point
0: (laughs) so so i i never got to go to the lease that was a buddy's lease that my brothers got to go to Uh, i did however so growing up my my grandpa who's passed away now he had a huge farm uh, on the Red River, which is the border between Oklahoma and Texas. And I, I actually grew up in Texas. My dad's side is from Texas, mom's side was from Oklahoma. And he had I'll, I'll, he had twelve thousand acres um, on the Red River. I mean, some of the best deer hunting you could possibly imagine. Um, they no longer, had, you know, he passed away. They ended up selling it later on. Uh, and man, I would give anything to have that back because. You know, I got, I got, I had free reign of it. I had the whole thing to myself, but I just didn't know enough about hunting and, and growing up in more of that Texas culture, I thought how you deer hunted was you sat in a box blind over a feeder. Like that's all I knew. And being a high school student and from a non, you know, hunting family, I I had like one homemade makeshift feeder. And so on 12,000 acres that I had access to, I was hunting about three, you know, and half the time, I half the time I couldn't afford the corn to put in it. You, know, I'd put like one bag of corn in it and expect that to last for you know weeks at a time. And man, knowing what I know now and having broadened my horizon, I would give anything to have access to all that property. <laughs> to again. Try that all
1: over mm-hmm. again. Oh, yeah. so being from Texas, I, I do got to I got to poke the bear, and I got to mm-hmm. I got to ask your opinion, Chili beans uh, oh no beans, no beans. No i, I beans. knew where
0: you're going already no beans <laughs> yeah.
1: well man as a, as a staunch bean user i uh, i mean we'll just i'll, I'll hold back my judgment mm, and we'll we'll continue mm. on because i don't know yeah. a brother from the other side who uh who will hold the beans that's fine with me as long as it's delicious uh, I'll, I'll roll with it all
0: right. i will i, well, I hey, will say this though uh, I think I have a few buddies that I'm going to send this to after we record it. I think it's very funny that I'm on a, uh, cooking based podcast because you will not meet a pickier eater than I am. So we'll get into oh, that later, goodness. but, uh, well, oh yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be good. Just a, a picky eater. Now, when
1: you're like growing up, when you would go to Thanksgiving or you would go to a big family dinner. Did you return did, like, did, could things touch or would you have no, like the oh, no. spokes out of, of a wheel? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, these two things. And I can, I can eat up to this line and I to, dare not cross it. Is that, to, to do you live your life this... with the, uh, the, the separated
0: plate, the little, the little sections that are there? To this day, my buddies joke that uh when we go places together, they're gonna bring like the little animal plates where like the face is the main dish and then like the ears are little individual sections. Yes, to this day, my buddies give me a hard time about that. <laughs> you know it all it all mixes together in your stomach. You do you do realize it, this. But that it's after your taste buds after that point. See, that's my argument. There you go. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be fun, John. Um oh yeah. Let's do a quick flyover of what your twenty twenty-two season was like here in the fall and even into the winter, because I know yours extends um later into into our season. Um but you don't just chase chase deer, you chase a lot of different species down there in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what were some of like the big celebrations from this year. Was it a deer? Was it was it landing a big fish? and then how did you celebrate that? was it was it with uh, a meal from that animal or what was it what was the first thing that you did with like uh, your venison or even your fish that really just got you excited about that whole adventure?
0: yeah, so i I honestly got extremely lucky this year. I had a little bit different uh season, so i my wife and I had our first child in July, and so that changed things up a lot. Um I had A decent amount of freedom in the spring and a little less freedom, you know, in the fall. Uh, And so um, I actually had a few spring adventures that were really cool. Um, uh, In Oklahoma, there's about three places in the entire state that you can catch trout. Usually it's too warm down here. There's one spot where they have introduced them and it's cold enough that they naturally, you know, uh, can breed and everything. And then there's two places where they introduce them, you know, in the wintertime, they stock them and basically when it warms up, they all die pretty much. Um, so I did a little trout fishing, which was, uh, different. And then, um, my wife and I, as kind of a baby moon before the baby came, we went on a crappie fishing, a guided crappie fishing trip, which was awesome. And that is going to play into the meal part later. Uh, and then we also, with the same guide, uh, we took my dad, my brother and brother-in-law uh, for Father's Day. We took my dad fishing with that same guide. Um, he's getting older. I, I think he's 68 now, um, you know, getting some, some arthritis and stuff. So he he loves being outside. He obviously, like, he he doesn't have many hobbies, but fishing is, you know, you could say one of his hobbies. So we went took him crappie fishing. And then I got to turkey hunt one day and I got a turkey.
1: Um, Oh, man, look at you. The one-day singer. I love it. (laughs)
0: Uh Uh-huh. It was actually, um, I had to work on Friday, and I had a wedding Saturday evening, and I was able to kill a turkey on my way to the wedding Saturday morning. Um, So that was super lucky. And then kind of transitioned into the fall. You know, summertime was kind of shut down, uh, you know, pre-baby and post-baby and all that. Um, This fall, I hunted the least – Um, number I had the least number of sits in the deer woods that I've had in several years Um, but I was fortunate I was still able to fill both my buck tags which is awesome Um, the famous I don't know if your listeners I'm sure you're aware of it I also I tried to go to Colorado on an elk hunt Um, I famously had my truck stolen out of the hotel parking lot before the hunt Um, still was able to go on the hunt but did not get an elk Uh, But because of that, you know, because I knew that elk hunt was coming, that's part of the reason I didn't get to do as much deer hunting uh, was because basically I was saving my brownie points, you know, for my wife. Um, And so I did a lot of like one day hunts instead of a full weekend, like that type of thing. Um, But like I said, was still fortunate and lucky, killed two great bucks this year in Oklahoma, Um, did not get a buck in Texas. I only got to hunt Texas two or three days. Um, So, yeah, overall. For the amount that I got to hunt with the baby and everything, extremely lucky. So, so yeah, that that was my season in a nutshell. Um, you want me to go into the the celebratory meal?
1: Yeah, I mean, shoot, the ups and downs of that that whole like to like yeah to start out and be like, hey, this is like baby moon, like we're getting very excited. <laughs> Your first child coming along, and it does. I mean, you talk about changing everything when it comes to uh, you know going from. Yeah, basically just a husband to now being a husband and a father. I've done that three times over, and yeah, like scraping together time is something I now fully understand. And so for you to be able to get out, even with with a little young one there, that's some great opportunities to be able to do, and then be (laughs) successful with that, which has been good. The crappie sounds like a great time.
0: (laughs) You should have seen the guide's face when my wife walked up to the dock seven months pregnant. (laughs) <laughs>
1: he's like that's a keeper right there John do not let oh, yeah. her go
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah he was like please don't have a baby on this boat
1: <laughs> so yeah get into okay. of of that being such a successful season other than losing a truck all of your hunting <laughs> gear not getting mm-hmm. an elk having all this freezer space that you then you got to fill up with uh, with whitetail that you don't have time to go for what was uh, a couple of those big celebrations from this year, though?
0: So there was kind of two of them, and, and both of them actually revolved around those crappie fishing trips. Um, so after my wife and I went on our trip, that was just a week or two before the, I got the turkey. So they're you know pretty close together. And my wife, my wife actually loves wild game. I'm lucky in that I, I have a lot of buddies who love to hunt, and their wives care nothing about the meat, but mine does. And so uh, we uh, we're actually currently living in uh, her grandparents' barn. We're about to we I mean within the next few weeks we're going to start building our house, which we're very excited for. But uh, we're living with them for now while we build that. And uh, and so she's like, "Hey, you know, it's kind of a thank you. We should make dinner for them." And she she suggested having some of the crappie that we caught. I was like, "Okay." Um, and her family kind of you know not being a hunting family. All of a sudden it, you know, me, her, and her grandparents turned into also her brother and and sister-in-law and their kid. You know, and just all of a sudden it kind of grew more than we had enough for. And so I was like, hey, like, the only way we can make this happen is if I do turkey and the fish, you know, the crappie. And so uh, (laughs) a lot of these recipes are going to be very Southern inspired, which I I hope you're okay with. So, Oh, absolutely. um, Absolutely. So. So years ago, um, a a good buddy of mine, we actually did a hunt trade. And so we had some guys from Louisiana come up and go deer hunting with us. And then we went down and went alligator hunting with them. Um, And so when they came up, you know, they very Southern hospitality type thing. Uh, They asked asked us if there was like something that they wanted us or we wanted them to cook. And one of the things I said was frog legs. I'd never had frog legs. And so they brought up frog legs, and just in case we didn't like it, they also brought up a bunch of catfish, and they taught us how to cook it. And so he uses, you know, a fish batter, but uh, in order to help help the batter stick, he covers the fish first in mustard, which I do not like mustard. I don't like really any condiments, and so I was like, I don't know about this, but but the acidity, it it did help. So he did a little mustard, and then also, you know, being Cajun, he had to put some Louisiana hot sauce, and he was very adamant that it had to be the louisiana brand hot sauce and so basically he uses a little oh yeah and so he used the mustard and the hot sauce and that was his his basically coating then he put it into the batter and then fried it and so so i oh man the frog legs by the way were delicious i was like screw catfish i have catfish all the time i ate my weight in frog legs um so anyway, so I've have, I've have since stolen that recipe, and that's how I always cook my catfish now. Um, but I I I have never done much crappie fishing. That's part of the reason we chose to go crappie fishing. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to use the same recipe. And then uh, we had the turkey too, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do the turkey that way also. And yeah. so I had I had all my piles, and I, I usually do two batches. I do one with the hot sauce and one without. For people who don't like the spice and kids and stuff, um, and so uh, yeah, rolled it, and put it, the mustard on it. Even though I hate mustard, hot sauce. Um, use I used uh, fish batter on the fish, and then I used like a uh, chicken chicken fry batter on the chicken. Um, deep fried it because we love deep frying everything around here. Uh, made some homemade French fries that were also fried, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I got to get my wife's family around who, again, none of them are hunters. Um, none of them to this day is have ever killed an animal. They've done a little fishing. Um, so that was, that was really, really cool to, you know, get to share that with them. They loved it. They really loved the Turkey, which I was surprised. I thought they were going to like the fish more than the Turkey. Um, but they loved the Turkey. I cut it up into smaller chunks so that, you know, when you fried it, it, it was all nice and crisp. And, uh, very similar story with the other fishing trip we took my dad on. Um, same thing. We caught a bunch of crappie with the guide, went back to their house. Uh, my brother's whole family came over. So we had their family, my dad, my mom, everybody there. Same recipe and everything because I already knew it was a winner. And so, yeah, two, two occasions, kind of same story. And uh, that was definitely a memorable one for me.
1: Well, hot dog, man, that is a great story where it starts out with, oh, let's just do something for the in-laws, and it turns into a whole <laughs> gathering. Mm-hmm. And I like the I like the binding because, um, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where you either go wet batter or, right. you know, with a larger piece of meat, like, you know, if you were to do, like, a turkey schnitzel where you actually mm-hmm. do the three. You go flour, you go egg, and then you go into your, your breadcrumb or your, you know, whatever— uh you want your outside to be but to go for just the the binder being the hot sauce and the mustard that's such a great idea because you're imparting flavor into the meat as it gets hot it's going to work its way in but at the same time i mean you don't really taste the mustard after you go through the deep fry that that deep fry kind of kills all that uh that mustard flavor that's probably a turnoff for you. And then everything else Mm -hmm. sings there. That vinegar goes to work. But other than that, like, I'm sure you didn't taste the Frenches as you, you know, you were eating those legs or those, uh, that piece of turkey. So that's a great Mm -hmm. preparation. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's really from the, that's really from Louisiana. That's deep Louisiana.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, usually fish is, is wet enough just in itself to, to help the batter stick, but the turkey, you know, turkey, you pat it off, it's very dry. And yeah, the mustard and the hot sauce really helped that breading stick.
1: I assume that was uh the breast too. You didn't you didn't happen to do the thigh or anything?
0: No, that was just cubed up breast, yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a deep fry on on all of those light white meats. They just respond so well. Mm-hmm. You get some screaming peanut oil and oh yeah, there's there's nothing better.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, great meal there. Well, John, I also I think we're going to switch gears here a little bit, and we're going to talk about the giant pig in the room, and that is the hogs of Texas and Oklahoma and all across the South and all across the mid or the uh, the Southern West area. These things are all i all i've been able to do is understand from talking to folks like you on what kind of damage that they're doing and what kind of a nuisance they are we have we have no idea what's what's mm-hmm. even going on or at least this northwoods boy here from michigan you know i'm so i'm so tight here into the pines i don't even know what's going on in other states so run through with me what's the impact that these animals are having on your property
0: Man, I I should have looked up the uh, the dollar amounts before we got on this podcast, but, uh, I mean, it's it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Um, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, mid-90s, hogs were kind of seen as an annoyance, not necessarily a problem, but an, an annoyance. And then as you got closer to, to 2000 and the early 2000s, that's when things really kicked into high gear. And all of a sudden, people are like, how do we stop these things because they, you know, they saw the numbers from the nineties and then all of a sudden you see the numbers in the two thousands and you're like, where does it stop? You know, how far does this go? And again, you know, growing up in an ag family, you know, my grandpa, he, he farmed again, he had that land right on the red river, which is just prime hog habitat. Um, they, they would have like 70 acre fields completely torn up in one night from hogs. They'd plant corn, and corn was always the worst they love corn and i mean it it's the craziest thing unless you've seen it like uh, they would the pigs would get in a row and they'd run their snout down that row and it it would look like a tractor had gone down because they just stay in that one row and just eat every kernel going down and they would they would eat the entire 70 acre field in one night Um, it got so bad that my grandpa at one point actually constructed a huge electric, I mean, miles and miles of electric fence that had, I want to say it had 10 wires and the highest wire was only about two feet off the ground. You know, these things are just inches apart um, in order to try to keep the hogs away. Uh, The state would come out with helicopters. Uh, He, you know, hired a full-time trapper. Um, This was before, uh, you know, thermal and night vision were so readily available. Uh, but you know, we, he like, that's, that's what I would do in my spring break. Cause that was usually around planning time. I'd go up there with some of my buddies. We'd have spotlights. Um, the farm manager would be out there. You know, we'd kind of split the place up into grids and, and we'd just be out there as late as we could stand with spotlights, looking for them, shooting them. You know, we'd shoot a bunch. They'd go to the other guy and he'd shoot at them. And you know, it was just kind of a big circle. Um, and then kind of more recently, you know, in our life, uh, my family were cattle ranchers. Um, I, I was full-time rancher up until about two years ago, no longer doing it, but my dad and brother still are. Um, and for us, it was our hay fields. Um, uh, we had some property also right along the Red River, uh, very lush ground, you know, and that's where we would cut all our hay to feed our cows. The hogs would get out there and just, you know, wallow and make, and so it was terrible. Like, hay season you know you're, you're cutting hay that's a couple feet high so you can't really see the ground you're driving the tractor and then all of a sudden your head hits the cab of the tractor because you drive through a hog wall that's you know a foot and a half deep oh my um and, and and they would tear up acres you know like we'd have to we'd have to go around like five to ten acres at a time because for so for whatever reason that like they pick a spot and like one night they'll hit that spot the next night they'll come to that same area and, you know move over a little bit and hit that spot and so you wind up with like craters all you know all over the place um and so you know we're there's like acres at a time that we can't cut hay off of, which is obviously costing us money because to either replace or just hay that we don't get to feed our cows and so I mean it it's a huge huge problem, oh my
1: goodness, I can't even begin like and that's that's on the egg side mm-hmm. as a conservation side as somebody who's probably in the natural resources department in Oklahoma, um, you know, they come through these areas. If they if they can wipe out a field, I'm sure they're going through all of your ground nesting birds like mm-hmm. wildfire. I'm sure that, you know, if it's small enough to chew on, they are sacking whatever that is and taking off with it. So now it's not yeah. just shoot an egg thing. Now it's a whole ecosystem thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, also, you know, kind of on that steel just just from like a hunting uh aspect you know uh like i cannot plant a corn food plot you know one of the most popular food plot seeds there is is corn i I just don't even attempt it because you know if i'm trying to plant you know three acres of corn up against woods where deer would want to come out you know into that food plot there's just no use because i know the hogs are going to tear it up um we're, we're a bait state you know we can have corn feeders and everything Uh, The hogs, they will take over a feeder. They'll knock it over. Uh, Actually, this last weekend when I was filling up feeders for uh, something we're going to talk about here in a little bit, um, uh, one of my feeders had been knocked over. Um, And so then uh, the only way to kind of fix that is you have to fence the feeders. They actually make, they're called hog panels. They're about 32 inches tall, you know, kind of woven wire panels, big heavy metal. Um, but I mean, those now, especially now after COVID with the prices of everything going up, those run about $18 a piece. And for a good size pen, you need, you need 10 to 12 of them per feeder, you know, per location. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge annoyance. Um, if you've ever listened to the meat eater podcast, one thing that I always talk about with hogs is, the, the snap your fingers thing i don't know if you've ever heard that but they yeah anytime the they had magic ha- wand and yeah anytime they gone. have somebody on yeah if, if you know if you could snap your fingers and all the hogs be gone would you do it and everybody's kind of like ah, i don't know dude i i'm snapping like get him out of here <laughs> he's waving the magic wand. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. he's making yeah. voodoo dolls that are in the shape of piglet yeah. and he is just poking yep. them. get him yeah. out of here
0: mm-hmm.
1: well that's it yes so, and that's a perspective again like again we don't we don't have that here in the north, although I did hear that there was a field in stream article that was talking about pigs coming from Canada. I don't know yeah. if it's a I don't I don't know how but I didn't see a whole lot of like data pieces that were in there, but at the same time, I guess there's there's boars roaming in into the Dakotas, uh, and into Minnesota and they're they're worried about the Great Lakes. And I was like, all right, let's let's not let's not worry about that. Let's hope that the big that the uh, yeah the Great Lakes at least hold them to the UP and <laughs> leave them out of uh, yeah. LP. We don't we don't need those yeah. things here at all. Mm-hmm. But to yeah, hear yeah. that and to know that yeah you've got a firm uh, stance on get rid of these things mm-hmm. is uh, yeah it's something I've just I'm completely novice to, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah if I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, I'm gonna have to get educated on all of this because. Hopefully, I'm thinking probably the time of the dropping of this episode. John, me and you are hanging out down on a property that you have in Oklahoma, and I'm going to try to help uh, by smoking some of these some of these hogs. I want to shoot some of these hogs with you on this trip. What what am I to what am I should I expect down there that I'm going to encounter? What is the what is the setup? What is the style? that I'm going to be trying to chase after these hogs, just explaining that, you know, if I got, if I got a couple corn kernels in my pocket, I'm probably going to have one already sniffing my, uh, (laughs) stiffing my
0: pants. (laughs) So first off, before we kind of get into the, the hunting aspect, I want to make one kind of clear thing here. Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking hunting, you know, if, if I'm a deer hunter, if I shoot a deer and it runs off and I just leave it. I'm kind of considered the scum of the earth. Like I would never do that, and that's generally accepted. Like you don't do that. If I shoot a hog, it runs off and I leave it. I'm considered a hero. You know, we're we're not we're talking eradication here. Like that is the point. Like we are trying to get rid of these things at whatever cost necessary. Um, It's a to to you know people from up north that may sound kind of a foreign concept because uh, you know even down here with most game animals that's just not a thing. Um, but when it comes to hogs, it it really is just get rid of them if possible, um, and so I, I just want to, as we get into this, I kind of want to make that clear as we talk about these different methods and things that we're about to be doing. So, um, <laughs> sounds so good. I, this is, as
1: much as it's yeah. like we're these are big animals, we can almost. Mm-hmm. Categorize them as far as the love for these animals is almost rodent aspect. Of it, it, we are, it
0: really is. I mean, they're, we are they're bending varmints. and shaking
1: yes. rules just to. I shouldn't yes. say we are bending and shaking <laughs> rules. We are bending and shaking they're, perceived ethics. Uh, yes, exactly. There,
0: there aren't. There are no rules. If that tells you anything. And yeah, ethics. I'm not going to say necessarily take a back seat, but are different. <laughs> so, uh, so first off, hogs typically are mostly nocturnal. Um, uh, whitetails, I believe the term is crepuscular. They move more morning and evening, you know, low light conditions. Hogs are really more nocturnal. Um, rarely do you see them in the morning. Um, you can't see them in the evening. That's, you know, if you're going to shoot one during daylight, it's probably going to be in the evening. And so most likely kind of the average day um, that we'll have, is kind of take it easy in the morning, you know, hang out midday. And, uh, I've already got a few, uh, feeders, bait locations basically set up. Um, and so typically we'll go out early afternoon. We'll be in an enclosed blind most likely. Um, we'll have a feeder in front of us, um, anywhere from 20 to 80 yards. I try to keep it fairly close, um, you know, just for ease of everything. Um, Weapon choice, uh, we can get into that in just a second. Um, there's there's a lot, um, but so <laughs> so so just starting with the setup. So again, you know, enclosed blind um, hogs. Their main weapon is their nose. Um, I believe they actually supposedly can smell better than a white tail. Um, their vision not so great. Their hearing's kind of so so. I mean, kind of average. They can hear you, but. You don't have to necessarily worry about it too much. Their main thing is their nose. Um, and so, you know, we'll pick locations kind of based on wind direction. I know the dominant winds down here. So most of my locations are set up for that anyway. And uh, so I, I mentioned um, earlier that, you know, all my feeders are fenced off from the hogs on purpose. Um, so basically this last weekend I went up, I filled the feeders, and I opened that pen. So I am I – am, inviting the hogs in for this, for this occasion only. Yes. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so again, evening we'll, we'll be in the blinds. Hopefully some hogs come in the, that's the best situation if possible, a feeder situation, because they, you know, we're still a few weeks away. They'll have time to kind of get conditioned. They'll get used to coming in there. A pig is very smart, you know. If you even if you watch like the Discovery Channel or something, you know, domesticated pigs, wild pigs, they're they're kind of problem solvers, and Absolutely. those those pigs will learn what time that feeder goes off. And I mean, it's it's like a dinner bell; it goes off, and a lot of times within a few minutes you hear them coming. Um, and so, again, the advantage to a feeder, they're there, they're relaxed, they're situated. You can be a little bit more selective. You can get a good shot opportunity. Again, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. Um, and you can kind of take your time. Um, so that's that's the big advantage to that. Um, usually, you know, the later it gets, kind of just like with deer hunting, the later it gets, kind of the better it gets because the closer you get to night, the more likely those things are going to come out and play. Um, depending on how many guys end up coming down, we are going to have some some thermal. Um and so I'll be running cameras on these feeders, you know, if the pigs are coming a little bit after dark, we may hang out in the blinds a little bit, even after dark, use the thermal, um, if not, usually what I like to do is once it gets dark, we take a little break, we go, you know, get some dinner, um, you know, hang out a little bit, let things calm down, and then at night, we're gonna do some night hunting, we're gonna do some thermal, um, and the way I go about it is I, I try to go complete darkness. Um, so the thermal that I have, it actually clips on and off the gun. And so I black out my truck. I make it to where when you open the door, the lights don't come on. I know our property well enough that I can usually drive without the headlights, you know, depending on the moonlight. Um, you know, if I need to, I'll use the thermal. And so you you, just, you drive around, you scan. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked through a thermal. It It's amazing how far away you can, you know, find these things and you can tell, you know, you can tell if it's a cow or a hog or whatever. Sometimes you got to get a little closer. Um, But basically once we, once we find a group, if we can drive a little closer, great. If not, we hop out, we walk and basically you just get the wind in your favor and you just walk straight at them. Um, And, uh, and hogs don't really have any natural predators. You know, a human is the closest thing they have to a natural predator. So you can get, pretty darn close to these things they're not as long as it's dark you know you don't have any lights on they're really not that worried usually um so i'll usually walk within 50 yards or so of them and then you clip the thermal back on the gun yep um you have to you know we'll do some walkthroughs if you have more than one gun obviously you, you have to be very careful typically our process i don't think i've ever gone with more than four guns i really don't like to go with more than three. Just the more guys you have or more people you have, you know, the, yeah, the more dangerous it gets. But typically you you form a line, you know, you get five or 10 feet apart and you do the whole one, two, three. So you get some time, ty- you get everybody set up. I, I carry it. I have a tripod that you can, you know, stand up. Um, you know, you count dot. you count one, two, three, and you lay into them. And again, I always go over kind of rules of engagement before we get out there. But, you know, if if the hogs are running right, you know, the guy on the right keeps shooting. If the the hogs are on left, the guy on the left, um, you know, eventually, you know, if the hogs are on right and you're the guy on the left, you kind of just get the short end of the stick. You get a few shots, but then obviously you don't want to swing into. And the Absolutely. big thing, again, it, you know, it's all dark. And so the big thing I tell people is you have to stay put, you know even in that excitement, if you're the guy on the left, you can't just take your gun and go run into the other side of the line because those guys don't know you're there. Um, and so you got to, you got to be careful. Um, I, but uh, I'm already getting like the shakes,
1: like the cold sweat right now.
0: I'm <laughs> thinking about that. Yeah. Like,
1: dude, this sounds so fun. Dry aged steaks used to be a steakhouse only indulgence. An old world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Drive, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and in the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's again like I've I've done it enough at this point to where it's you know I, I know the process, and so we'll we'll kind of go through it and run through it. Um. And and so yeah, and you know, nighttime it's kind of as late as we want to stay up, as late as we see things moving. Um. And that also kind of feeds into the the morning. You know, usually. The hogs aren't that active, and so usually I'm more of a stay up late, sleep in, relax in the morning, you know, get your rest, so you're not just dying the next day, and then and then do it all over. So,
1: well, this is this sounds epic, and you know what? Yeah, staying in bed a little bit later, slowly drinking <laughs> a cup of coffee, and mm-hmm. making a big breakfast so that we can be fueled up for the nighttime like that. I'm I'm an early riser, but at the same time, like that whole mindset, I am I'm okay with. I mean, this again, oh, yeah. this is spring break for me, so this will be, this will be the break that I have been dying for. Wow, this encounter that uh, that we're gonna be in box blinds, and then we're gonna be going out and then shooting them at night. It's it it sounds incredible, and just like you were saying too, as far as firearm setups, I'm sure shoot spin the wheel. You know, if we can have howitzers, <laughs> yeah. if we can have RPGs, um, I'm fresh out of those. Darn it! But otherwise, <laughs> <Dang>. I <would laughs> bring them down. Um, the The weapon that I'm going to be most confident in, um, other than my bow, I would love to take a a, uh, a hog with a bow, but I think that's going to mm-hmm. be a. Uh, a different tale of a different time. Um, we're going down. I want this to be a culinary venture. I want to be able to have something to play with. Um, but at the same time, I want to be able to put stuff down quick, put stuff down right in its tracks. And so I'm bringing my uh, my tried and true uh, 12-gauge shotgun. I got rifled barrel on it. I'm a slug shooter. I like to put uh, sabots through it. Is that going to, with five in the tube, is that going to be enough oomph on those little tanks am i going to be able to drop and roll one uh with a single shot and then is five in the tube going to be helpful uh if we're on the black line there <laughs> walking up <laughs> in the in the dead of dark is that going to be yeah. is that going to be a tool that'll be useful
0: so uh at night probably not so much but uh i said you you had asked me previously about it and you know, asking if it was okay and everything. And I was actually this last weekend, I was telling my brother, I was like, yeah, one guy has a, a rifled 12 gauge that he's bringing down. And he got this huge smile. He was like, that is going to be awesome. (laughs) Uh, So, so again, you know, in these blinds with the feeders, you know, some of these are set up for bow hunting. So if you're talking close range like that, that 12 gauge is going to be, awesome very awesome so absolutely um depending on where the pigs are at you know if we have uh, a little bit further shot um i personally as odd as it sounds i actually love a bolt action rifle for daytime pig hunting um everybody think you know everybody even guys down here they they're like oh i want you know the ar-15 with the 30 round mag and all that and stuff And, and and i used to also but i've 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 hunted enough pigs now you know you really you get one good shot and then it you know everything breaks loose they're going to be right and so uh i again like i i've i've done this a lot i'm more in the eradication than the the sportsman side of it my typical you know if i if i have a group of hogs coming in i'm confident they're going to be there i'm going to take a bolt action rifle I, I've killed a lot of hogs with a 22250, which is a pretty small caliber. Um nowadays I I really my preferred I have a three hundred wind mag that I just absolutely love. It's a big caliber, so I'm carrying that most of the time. And if they're like in a bait situation, I'm gonna be patient and I'm gonna wait for two of those hogs to line up and give me a double headshot. So I wait till two are facing each other basically, one walks behind. So I'm gonna get two on my first shot, and then typically I can at least wound, get one more once kind of the chaos ensues. So so for daytime, you know, if they're at a further spot, I have some rifles you can you can use. Um shot placement is something I definitely wanted to touch on. Yeah. Because I think I think part of what gave the hog this crazy reputation of being so hard to kill was actually it had a lot to do with um how their vitals line up in their body. So most people, you know, myself included, a lot of people, they're they're used to whitetail deer. And what everybody is always taught on whitetail is, you know, right behind the shoulder, you know, broadside shot, right behind the shoulder. And on a whitetail, that's great. Um, you're usually getting double lungs if you hit a little back. You're getting liver. Um, you know, double lung shot. That deer is going to run hundred yards and it's going to be dead. And that's great. But hogs, their vitals actually sit a little further forward in the body cavity compared to a white-tailed deer. And so instead of being behind the shoulder, it's more directly in line with the shoulder, you know, like between their legs, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, so when people were aiming behind the shoulder, they were really getting, you know, maybe back of the lungs into liver, um, which is, you know, usually lethal in, in most animals, but not the best. Uh, but the other thing about hogs is they have very, very tough, thick skin. And so when you're talking about a situation where that hog or you know that animal is going to be able to run a long way to begin with, then you tie that in with that thick skin, a lot of times, even if the animal dies, they're going to go a really long way and they're not going to leave a blood trail because that skin's going to close up and they're going to stop bleeding. Um, so I think people probably were... Killing the pigs, they were shooting. They, just they just weren't, weren't finding, finding them because oh, they yes. were half so the county that, on the other side. Yeah, so that's you know that's my personal opinion. That's not scientific. Um, so again, so I you know I learned a little bit later in life that they sat more forward. So for me, I I actually prefer if if especially on like a you know a feeder situation or a bait situation, I really prefer a headshot. Um, and again, a lot of people when they hear headshot and they're used to deer hunting. They think unethical because a deer's head is not very big. A hog's head is huge. Um, You know, they they don't have a neck. It's just like giant head straight into the shoulders. Um, And so if you, you know, I aim below the ear and you really have a pretty big, um, you know, mess up area, whatever you want to call it. You know, big area to where if you're off a couple inches each direction, it's still going to be a lethal shot aiming at that head. So I really prefer a head shot. If I have somebody who's maybe not used to you know shooting as much guns, you know, never hunted before that type of thing, then I'm going to tell them you know look at that front leg and go straight up center mass. Um, don't go behind the shoulder; just go right through it. Um, and again, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with with hog anatomy or rumors or whatever. When I was a kid, you always heard about like the iron plate, like, you know, hogs behind their shoulder. They have this big, it's, it's really cartilage. Uh, but they have a real thick piece of cartilage that covers their shoulder. Um, and, and it's true. But again, with, with today's firearms, it's not a problem to get through that. Again, I've killed a lot of hogs with a 22, which most people would consider pretty small. Like I, I wouldn't yeah. recommend somebody deer hunting with that um necessarily it'll kill a deer if you you know shoot it right. Um but for you know a two hundred forty three is great for hogs. Two seventy great. Thirty out six great. Two seventy great whatever. Um again I, I just I have a three hundred wind mag that I really love. That's usually what I shoot and I hate tracking and so that that does the job right there. <laughs> well, good. We're on the same page that we don't like tragging. Yes. You bring
1: the high yes. velocity and I'll just bring the haymaker uh with oh, the yeah. uh, the 12 gauge and you when you were talking to like you wait for two hogs to line up. I I was kind of talking with a buddy and I was like at at one if we get an opportunity to sit and we're in the box blind and they line up like if I can go like Let's say I get three shots off and I end up going four Mm -hmm. for three, like (laughs) to get two, two in one shot, that would be, Mm -hmm. that would be such a trip and that would be so cool. So I'm glad to know that shoot, that is possible that in fact, that's the, that's the John setup. He says, I wait for him to line up so I can take Mm -hmm. two with one. That's, that's true sustainability. If we're going to try to take this out, really maximizing (laughs) the shot. That's incredible.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mentioned, uh, still on the weapons topic, you know, I mentioned in daytime, I love a bolt action rifle at night when you switch to the thermal, that's when I I do like an AR at night. Um, because in that situation, a lot of times you're, you're, you're having a group of pigs that are way out in the open, you know, like we're, we're in cattle country here. It's not even, it's not even farms, it's cattle country. Um, the County we're in is one of the top Cattle producing states or counties in the entire country. So it's a lot of wide open fields. That's when you want the AR. And at night, you know they they can't hide. You know, and so you get them in a wide open field. You're getting close, and you're able to keep shooting for a long time because as they're running away, a lot of times you know they're not making it to the woods anytime soon. And so you just kind of keep plinking and keep plinking. Again, you're not. Uh, like honestly you're not super worried about wounding you know i would never I, I you know i we don't do deer drives down here i would never dream of taking a shot at a full running whitetail uh but hogs it's like hey just do it you know <laughs> like you'll, you'll go <laughs> yeah like you know if hey if you slow them down great we'll drive up there and finish them off all right
1: Well, this is uh, yeah. This is going to be somewhere where I will definitely be novice. I will be Mm -hmm. absorbing as much information as I can. Um, Not to say that I'm going to be a full expert on this second portion, Um, but again, I'm I've been putting my research in. I've been putting my uh, my due diligence. Now, when you know, knock on wood, we get some of these these hogs down in good, clean shape. That we were able to mm-hmm. get a couple of uh, the headshots, where we're we're taking it right behind. I think you had mentioned earlier in a in a talk that we were doing, um, just under the ear. That was a, that mm-hmm. was a sweet spot to put it. We put a couple there. We dropped these hogs right there. Um, now it comes chance to process these things. Mm-hmm. As much as we've that you have elaborated that you are not a fan and you'd rather see them all gone. This is our opportunity to help out. Uh, um, both to eradicate them, but at the same time put their uh, put their flesh to use because now I'm looking to harvest as much as I possibly can off of one of these kills. And that's where it's led me down through a lot of research looking into hog anatomy, looking into how do they differ uh, from a whitetail, how do uh, major producers or how do custom butchers end up butchering hogs and trying to adapt some of this into uh, the new challenge of getting this wild hog that has lived off the landscape and to get that to taste, uh, I don't want to say try to get that to taste, I want it to taste the wild pork for what it is. And, John, you've even talked about that you've had uh, the opportunity to enjoy the wild pork, and you even said you're you're a picky eater. These things can be super delicious when treated correctly. Am I right?
0: You are. And that's something that has really kind of come to light, honestly, just in the last five to 10 years. Um, and I, I think the meat eater crew, and if you're familiar with Jesse Griffith, he's been on meat eater several times. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually has a, it's called the hog book, which I sadly do not own. I, I need to buy it. I just haven't. It's on the um, short list.
1: I know the exact book. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Um man, growing up just i'll I'll be honest, I told hundreds of people you can't eat a wild hog without ever even trying to eat a wild hog because that was just the narrative. everybody said it um it was a little bit more popular down south you know way South Texas, you get more of the Hispanic influence, you know you put enough chilies and jalapenos in there with it. It's going to taste good. (laughs) It's going to taste like chili and jalapeno, but but
1: you like it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, But yeah, most people, you know, I, I, I'd shoot them, I'd drag them off, never even attempted to, because again, everybody I talked to said it's not good. Um, I really have my brother to thank, uh, my older brother, who's not as, not near as big a hunter as I am. He hunts some, but uh, actually even him, it was really his buddies. Um, kind of two things led to our discovery of it. Um, one, he, he's, he was in the army and he had some army buddies down and one of them had never hunted before. Um, and so he took him to my grandpa's place. They shot a hog and this guy was just, you know, again, new to hunting. He was like, Hey, like, I want to eat it. Like I killed this thing. I've never killed anything. I want to eat it. Um, so my brother cut out, uh, I believe the back straps. And brought it home to my mom, who my mom is a fantastic cook, um, and she knows a lot about it. Um, she tried grilling it, um, and it was not good, you know, super tough. Um, and then I think she might have even tried half of it in the crock pot, and it didn't turn out so good. Um, and so that just, again, like that just re upped our thought, like, okay, well, they're no good. Um, years later, uh, some my brother went to. Uh, college at the Citadel military school in South Carolina. And then he met some guys in the army who were from like Georgia, I think. And there they, they eat hogs all the time. They, they do the pit, they hang them and everything. And he had all these buddies like, Hey, like if you smoke hog, it's really good. And so he was home uh, for a holiday. One time I just so happened to shoot. A... Actually, I remember now it was Thanksgiving because we had Thanksgiving at my parents' house. Um, I just so happened to shoot a hog. And my parents had an old smoker, an old brick smoker in the back uh, yard. The old tried probably. I love yes. it. Yes. So we had probably never even used the thing. Um, and so we, we didn't try very hard. We just wanted to try. So we skinned it, cleaned it. Um, I, I don't think we even seasoned it. We just threw the whole thing on this smoker, <laughs> you know, halfway we, we rolled it over and, um, You know, it got done. We, we checked it, you know, the temperature, make sure it was cooked thoroughly. We cut it up and then we put barbecue sauce on it and we all ate it. And we're like, man, like, you know, this is okay. You know, this is, this is actually pretty good. And, uh, and then it was about that time, you know, like I said, the meat eater thing kind of started getting popular and we kind of learned like, Hey, it is possible to make this good. And so, uh, a few years ago, actually it was mother's day, another holiday, we again just so happened to, to shoot a hog. My brother decides he's going to smoke a ham for Mother's Day. Um, you know, how how romantic for your mom. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, I'm so, go kill this animal for
0: you, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so he he cut off and it was a it was a bigger boar too, which again that's what you always hear is a no no. You they say you always want the small sow. Cut this back ham off, actually took his time, you know, did it right took care of it, got it in and, you know, cooled off and everything, seasoned it, smoked it. And man, it, it was, it was delicious. Um, again, even after that experience, I haven't eaten much hog. Um, it's, it's a hassle. If I, if I'm being completely honest with you, just, you know, so you're prepared, it's a hassle. Um, man, their skin is, is like, it's tough. Uh, they're big, they're hard to handle. They're smelly. Um, you know, like uh, hogs is one of the few animals like if I'm dragging one off, I'll actually put gloves on. Uh, you know, deer, I never mess with gloves. <laughs> I usually put some work gloves on if I'm dragging dragging a hog off. Um, but all that to say, I I am very actually I'm very excited for you to come down because you have asked, also inspired me. Like I I need to be better at this. I need to learn this, and so I'm very excited to learn together.
1: Well, good. Good. I'm going to lay out three things that i am mm-hmm. i am so like gung-ho for like my big motivation right now is my gut is leading me my literal like stomach is leading <laughs> me on this quest um i am yeah i feel like a buzzard or like a a, a raccoon like i have just like any and every opportunity i'm going to take like this is going to mm-hmm. be something i'm going to be a part of and so now that we're going to be chasing hog and knowing that it's going to be a challenge i think it, I, that, that's the other part too is like I am, I'm getting into some uncharted territory here. At least I know there are some, like you know, we talked about Jesse Griffith, and he's got a whole book dedicated to it. And you know, if I had that at my side, if I had that at my disposal, which I should have that here soon, hopefully, um, be able to, to break that down. But to be able to face this head on, I've got three real things that I want to do. And the first one is I want to see if we can't uh, keep the skin on the hog. And the reason I'm saying that is, is because these deer are created differently, and this is my research. Deer are created differently than, than pigs. Believe it or not, when you take the hide off of a deer, the skin and hair will come away, and in fact, the fat will stay. Given you know, hard you know, where your where your knife nicks are at, you know, if you pull hard enough, that that fat is going to harden up and is going to stay on the animal it's attached to the animal versus hog fat will come away with the skin so if you grab and you pull it's all going to come off together and yes these aren't necessarily uh, fed on the highest quality grain there it's going to have a funk it's going to have a skunk to it but at the same time pork fat is an amazing culinary tool that it can take uh Many different flavors that you apply to it, be it smoke, be it a marinade, be it whatever, without a whole lot of heat, that is going to render out, and it's going to give you a glorious bit of oil in that pan, or it's just going to be able to moisten up whatever cut that's on there. And so, to use it as a tool, hopefully, it's going to be one of those that it's palatable. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be playing with it. But essentially what I want to do is torch these animals with the skin on. So we're going to dispatch the animal. We're going to kill it. And then before we even gut it, try to hang it up. Scrape off as much of the mud and gunk that's on there, even to the point of if we've got to hose it off. Hosing it off is fine. But we're going to then take a yard torch. I'm going to bring a 30-pound uh, propane tank down with me from Michigan, and we're going to put this sucker to work. And what you essentially do is singe the hair, do a first scraping of all the singed hair. Then you turn up your BTUs, and then you really put the heat onto it, and you're taking the hair all the way down to the skin itself. Uh, So now that it's at the skin level, and you're actually bubbling out that outside layer. And then you do a second scraping. At that point, it's going to look like an animal that you literally just put into an inferno real quick <laughs> but what i'm finding is like i thought this was just a couple like rednecks getting you know <laughs> starting to get use their ingenuity and, and do this but this is a practice second to scalding like this is a traditional method used in eastern europe in fact they would use dry straw so when they would slaughter the fa- the, the pig on the farm they would take dry straw put that down put the pig in there torch it off and then throw a whole bunch more straw on top essentially doing what we're doing but with a propane torch and then they come by and they scrape it the last thing is what you follow up with is um you got yourself a, a hose with some water and a good jet of water and a brillo pad and then you just scrub down all of the ash from the hair And you scrub as, you know, and then that's going to clean the animal up and it's going to take its presentation from, you know, like, uh, throw this thing into the dumpster to, Hey, we have our something with, uh, something that's starting to look palatable. Um, so that's the direction. That's the, the first challenge that I think, uh, I'm going to take you on John again. Is it something I've, <laughs> I've done? Nope. I'm going to be just, <laughs> just as fresh as you doing it, but I think we're going to be able to get a, some better transport out of this meat. I think it's going to last better in the cooler because if I put that ice directly onto the skin, I'm not worried about it, uh, damaging the flesh at all at that point. Um, plus at that point, just, I mean, cracklins, wild pork cracklins. Is that a, is that a thing that has been attempted? And if it isn't, let us be the first to give it a shot. Um, second is I do know like the belly can be super thin um, as far as that's going to be, uh, you know, the true bacon winner of this whole thing. Like domestic pork has a ton of fat and ribbons in there. And I've heard that as far as as belly goes, you know, it's good to be, it's good to use that in some fashion, but you're not going to get necessarily your thick slab of bacon that you're looking for. Um, So I have a couple approaches. I want to do one where instead of, or I take the, you know, we're going to make bacon, but instead of keeping it as a slab to actually roll it like uh, European or like um, Italian pancetta. And if we roll it, I'm going to end up with more of a pinwheel on there. So we do the curing process, we smoke it, I keep it wrapped up in this fashion, I let it set, and then instead of basically cutting off a uh, a strip of bacon, I'm hoping that I can cut off a round of bacon. So it's like a little pinwheel, and then that is what I'll fry in the pan. But anyway, that's, that's the second venture that I wanted to try to do. And then last um, is in the neck, they have uh, a muscle that runs up in there, kind of like... Um, uh, a neck filet off of uh, a lamb. I think they call it uh, capicola. They've got a name for it. But anyway, I've heard really good um, stories of of capicola being uh, dry brined and then cured. And then that creates just an amazing charcuterie, second to like prosciutto we're talking though at that point. And um, I've been toying with some long aging of venison and so now like getting after some pork i'm like this might be the next thing to play with so those are the three things john that i am just dying to try out um on top of you know every part we're gonna we're gonna get after the backstrap we're gonna get into the shoulder and the uh the hind and doing a ham and and all this stuff but i'm hoping to to bring down a couple tools and arm you uh with uh (laughs) some new artillery for the post kill so as we're putting things Uh, you know, taking things out of the field. Hey, maybe we can take a portion and at least get it into the freezer. Does this sound like a venture that you'd be excited to be on, John?
0: Absolutely. Actually, and you know, I I talk about being a picky eater. Meat. When it comes to meat, hey, I'm all about it. So that's one good thing. Uh, I I have I have two thoughts as you were talking there. One, you and my brother are going to become best friends because he is the <laughs> he is the exact opposite of me. You could cut off a slice of the tail, dip it in blood and say, "Hey, try this," and he's going to try it. So he he's he's your uh yeah, he's your uh your edible whatever you want to try, it, the guy who's going to try anything. Oh
1: um, good.
0: But the other the other thing, the little bit more serious topic that I thought of is <clears throat> I think you might be a little bit pleasantly surprised with the fat content On These hogs, because I think as you're talking about a lot of the, and again, what I always heard growing up is that hogs, you know, wild hogs don't have the fat content. They, you know, nothing like a domestic or anything like that. Um, And I think where a lot of that came from, because where kind of the wild hog thing started again, South Texas, it's a much drier climate. They're eating snails and, you know, who knows what else they're they have a much different diet here you know we have a, we're in a much more lush area and and honestly add to the fact these hogs that we're going to be hunting they are currently right now eating our cattle's grain um because you know we go out we feed the cattle the cattle eat some and at night and that's why that's why we have so many hogs at this moment is because it's winter time we're feeding all our cows and at night those hogs come and they're picking up the pieces Um, like I, I, I promise you at some point we will see a group of hogs right in amongst the cows. Um, and it's because they're going in there and they're eating the leftover grain. So like I said, in a good way, I think you're going to have a little bit higher fat content than you might think.
1: So you're, you're telling me, John, there are free, furry critters that are finishing themselves on top quality grain. Is that what you're telling me, John?
0: that is i'm talking about professional rationed grain yes
1: <laughs> oh man i i am going to be the hog in the wallow when we're down there <laughs> i am you know where maybe my crosshairs and my my rifle skills and my marksmanship may not be the biggest asset my knives and my my yard torch. I'm going to put them to work for you, John. Yes. That is going to be All where right. I will
0: shine. And we hey, will get I'm, ourselves some of this thick fat I'm looking bacon. forward to it. <laughs> looking forward to it.
1: Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, John, this has been great. I've come down to – we're at the crescendo of our episode here. And I want to finish with your submission to the Emperor's Table. This is a made-up scenario where we are getting together as the Sportsman's Empire crew and everybody is bringing a dish to pass. This dish is going to be resembling just a little bit of your regionality, your originality, and it's going to speak about your culinary venture. If you're basic, stick to basic. If you're way out there like Paul Campbell, go like with Paul Campbell. I tell you, he had a turkey recipe that just blew my shoes off, man. It was <laughs> really good. But you are going to be coming up with this dish, and it's going to be something that's going to be your submission to the Emperor's Tape.
0: Okay, this is it. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked? That's want time? No question. You, you hungry? Are? Hey, Ma! Can we get some out We're and you heard about this.
1: So, John, what is your submission to the table?
0: All right. Uh, kind of, I don't know, I guess somewhat uh, it, similar to earlier. Uh, and hopefully this one isn't overdone. But I'm going to be doing chicken fried backstrap. Or really any deer meat. This works with any deer meat. doesn't have to be backstrap. Uh, this is my mother's recipe. And this is also how she makes her chicken fried steak. And, um... So, growing up, my mom's chicken fried steak was famous. Again, my mom, fantastic cook. I I am her shame. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I feel so bad um, that I am a picky eater because it is not her fault. Um, and uh, her chicken fried steak was so good, in fact, that one of my brother's friends was arguing. He's like, no, my mom's is the best. And so, my mom cooked it one night. He came over and... And in front of everyone, he was like, okay, your mom's is better. So, so she does deer fried steak the same way. My wife now does it this way. I do it this way. And so here we go. So very big key is you want to have tenderized meat. Um, again, whether it's backstrap, off the ham, whatever, you want that meat to be tenderized. Even if you're just pounding it with a hammer on the counter, it's got to be tenderized. And then you're going to have your egg wash. Which is just egg and milk, and then you're gonna have your uh, your batter. Now for batter, she does not do a store bought batter; it has to be saltine crackers. So she takes saltine crackers, puts them in a gallon Ziploc, crunches them up. Um, If you use other, she's experimented with other crackers, and uh, my dad and my brothers and sisters and I, we said no; it's got to be the saltines. So, so you have your saltine crackers, your egg wash. In your Have
1: they, Has she tried the Ritz and she turned the Ritz she, down?
0: She actually has tried Ritz. Ritz were okay. Um, one time in particular, I think they were sold out. It was like after an ice storm or something. And she bought some kind of like Japanese cracker. And man, like without knowing, my dad like took one bite and he was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, that that big of a difference. So, so yeah, saltines uh
1: Saltine straight up stick to it
0: good yes yes um and then what she claims is her famed, or uh what makes her so good is you actually season all three and so you season the meat you season the egg wash and you season the batter the, the breadcrumbs you know after they're smushed up so you got your seasoned meat you do the double dip into the egg wash uh so it's egg wash batter egg wash batter and then fry it um again super simple um but i'm telling you it will make you i don't know it'll make you do something stupid that you wouldn't normally do um (laughs) so super simple uh again i'm picky i don't do anything too crazy about as crazy as i get is uh i wrap bacon around my tenderloins when i cook it and (laughs) put throw it on the traeger so, so yes, that if I was going to bring some some kind of wild game dish, that would probably be, that or the crappie that I talked about earlier. Both both equally good. Gotcha, gotcha. No, the chicken
1: fried is always. I mean, that is when you're in the mood for it. Like there are times mm-hmm. where I come home and it's like I I need a shallow fry. I need the triple dunk. Whether it's because I, I usually end up going the flour, uh, the egg, and then into whatever cracker or panko or whatever that is. It's been a while since I've done saltine. Maybe I've gotten away from the true ways, John. I need to go back to saltines. (laughs) But, man, something about being able to get that outside crunch and then to get into the chewy meat, not too chewy Mm -hmm. because, again,